Hello and welcome back to the Deep Mid Cricket Podcast. Yes, um, I've not been on for a while now. I think it's been around three weeks since I've talked to you guys. I've got my school starting up tomorrow and, uh, you know, online school and all that stuff. But there's been quite a lot of drama in this past week with some Cricket Australia stuff, as well as the England versus West Indies saga. Anyway, how about you, Addy? How are you? I am very good, thank you. The um, the weather, it's just so British me to talk about the weather, isn't it? But yes, the weather uh, is getting better, which is good. Um, and people are starting to look forward towards half-term, which is in two weeks' time. So yeah, but still lots of cricket uh, has been going on. Not so much in terms of England, who get a bit of a pause, I think, now for a month's time, but certainly around the world. But we are going to start with England. They um, We couldn't put in the fifth ODI last time because I recorded it before the 5th ODI. Uh, just before I mention what happened there, there was this, there's now a strange break between the T20s and the Tests. The T20 finished last week, and now the Test match start on March the 8th, um, with, with the West Indies now coming to, uh, coming to India, with the first ODI being today, and then they're coming back, uh, and they're playing T20s, and then they're coming back home to play England. I'm not sure if this is, there's a commercial side to this, so that you get you get to play in India before the the heat kicks in. I don't know. I, I don't really understand why you need to... Because now the England players have come back at home for a month because they're not going to uh, be hanging around. It doesn't quite make sense. Um, and, I mean, if you're trying to look at it from an environment of view, which we all are uh, at some time, that's just a waste of so much flight for, for England, isn't it? You know, coming here and then going back, mm. so... Uh, but anyways, the series was drawn at 2-2 with all to play for in the fifth one. Carl Mayer started with a bang, only to be bettered by a spectacular relay catch from Jason Roy and, uh, and Phil Salt on the boundary. The power of Pollard and Powell got them to a good total of 179 for four. After a strangling middle for the West Indies, courtesy Adil Rashid and Liam Livingston's uh, two for 17. So Rashid got that in four overs and Livingston got that in three overs. His spin has been quite useful for England. However, in the batting side, uh, Roy was gone in the first over. Uh, that left Vince, who made his way back into the squad after some time. Um, he paired up with Tom Banton. Uh, Banton and Moan Ali, who came in later as well, fell without much to their name. But it was uh, James Vince who continued to play a classy 55 of 35. Uh, Sam Billings was still there, but he didn't have partners to finish with him. Akil Hossein doing a lot of the damage with the left arm orthodox picking 4 for 30. It was a tense a tense finish on the cards. Um, Jason Holder got the crowd onto their feet with a double hat-trick, so that's 4 and 4. Um, and people, you know, they ask why a double hat-trick is not... S- Six wickets in a row, and why it's just four wickets yeah. in a row. But I think I think it's because the first a hat trick itself. The yeah, the first three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that until he got that actually. Um, but it were in front of the home crowd. It was um a really good setting for the series, and Barbados went bonkers. Uh, it was a wonderful series, and something like we hadn't seen for a while. I think it's good for the cricket and, and the T twenties. How about you, Addy? Uh, yeah. It's a true treat to the eyes, to be honest. Monstrous batting, as you'd expect with the West Indies. And the small pitches that are in the West Indies compared to Australia, which we've been watching. You know, the winter there, we've been watching all these massive uh, massive grounds and one or two sixes in the whole game. 
and so the bowlers were taken to the cleaners, but it was still a completely competitive. Um, the cricket always had you interested, and in the end, in the border perspective, West Indies played better and they took the series 3-2. Meanwhile, the women's, they have been finishing off their uh, women's ashes in Australia as the season comes to a close there. Had to expand the test game more after that incredible test match uh, in Australia uh, um, at Canberra. The sort of points I heard was that there is a test being planned when the South Africa women visit England in the summer this year, which is very exciting. Uh, but there are no scheduled tests for uh, either England, uh, so either India or Australia in the next year. And it was the first game of red ball cricket, sort of professionally, some of the Australia debutants like um, Tyler McGrath since under 13. And that's a bit of a problem. I think we need to have a stronger domestic women's red ball structure, even if it's just you know, three or four teams. Um, and Test match cricket is at the moment just played between the top three of India, England and Australia. But, I mean, definitely New Zealand can form a team. Sri Lanka might be able to form a team. But you have the West Indies. I mean, they've, they've got enough depth in their cricket. Um, there's definitely scope to have more tests around the world. Uh, it doesn't seem to be uh, commercially viable, and so the ICC has to help with the funding uh, and so on. And there's also a case for not there being just the one test, um, because I'm sure if we had uh, two or three test matches in this Women's Ashes, it would be even more exciting. There's more to play for, and these women get more experience. And if anything, it's, it's a bit like a cycle, because the cricket gets better, because they play more test matches. So... Other women's cricket news, West Indies in South Africa, they're women. Uh, Ariana Dossin, the all-rounder, made 150 not out in the rained out first ODI. Then the, the women, they made 160 uh, in the second ODI, and they tied with South Africa, who also made 160. Must have been exciting stuff, because when you have both sides with low-scoring totals, uh, it were bowled out for 160. And the super over, Dossin made 19. Hayley Matthews finished their effort off with a six. South Africa made 17, but it was too much as you would expect. And South Africa went on to win the third one, with the fourth being today. But the high of the close, attempt and thrilling finish of the test match was quickly subsided by the first ODI. And it symbolises just what a superb side the Southern Stars, as they're called, are Australia, despite really should have winning the game, you'd have argued. Uh, in the test match, they came back and they just showed why they are such a good team. The England Pacers worked together to keep them to a 205, with Beth Mooney being the only person with some sort of momentum in her 73, Kate Cross and Catherine Brunt with three fours. But England's top collapsed with 39 for three. There was a short rebuild and then back to back wickets. It would have gone halfway through. England was staring down the barrel at 103 for 6 as they ended up 178. I think that was all out. A stellar performance from the Aussies, especially from the 18-year-old Darcy Brown. She bagged four wickets along the a along with the Ashes, with Australia back on their dominating track in, the, I think they're now 27 ODI game streak or something. Uh, but yeah, they won the Ashes and we had uh, two ODIs of dead rubber, of which the first was this morning, Karthik. Yeah, it was. Um... So I was following the score this morning and I opened my phone and it's like after 33.1 overs, uh, Alex Perry and Jonathan has rolled through the top of middle order. It was uh, 
Yeah, Australia won the toss. They chose to field. I didn't expect England to be crumbling this much, though. They were 86 for 7, no substantial score, and they were bowled out for 129 with the top score from Sophia Eccleston, who bats at 9. So it, it's it's a bit underwhelming from England. I thought they were a much better squad. You know, they won the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. Four what, years ago. Five ago, years ago. That yeah, four, five, five years. years. But, you know, yeah. y- you would expect a bit more from... A World Cup winning squad, but mm. Australia batted and they were in a bit of trouble at the start. They were at two for 18, but all Australia needed was a 40 from Perry and they wrapped up the game in the 36th over. They extended that 27 win- game win streak to a 28 game win streak. It's now almost getting a game as to how far can they get it because I think it is the world record in terms of cricket. Speaking of world cricket, um, Let's go to the World Cup in West Indies, which is the under-19 World Cup, which definitely hasn't been happening quietly. Lots of talk about it uh, on the creating websites and stuff, uh, if I can call it. Uh, the finals between India and England, you're probably not surprised, probably two of the more blessed uh, in terms of talent and love for the game in terms of countries. And as you'd expect, Australia uh, was third in the semi-final. Uh, India, they started their campaign versus South Africa. The captain, Yash Dool, saved them from a tricky position to get to 232, with him making 82. Uh, India's bowlers then came on top with a forfeit from Seema Raj, Angad Bauer, and left-arm orthodox Vicky Ostwal with four. It came next with two emphatic wins against Ireland and Uganda, with uh, the winning margins being 174 and 326. Really? Uh, uh, what did India make against um, against Uganda? Let me have a look. To, to win by 326 is no mean feat. They made 405 in Uganda with Bola in less than 20 overs for 79. I mean, ouch. In the quarterfinals, Bangladesh were defeated by five wickets after bundling them out for 111, and that's Nelson and cricket. And in the semi-finals, Adul and Rashid had a 200-run partnership to take India to 290 for five and their bowlers obliged in a team effort to keep them down to 194 winning them a spot in the under 19 World Cup final and England Karthik yeah on the other side England they also started off with clinical performances right off the bat against uh, Bangladesh Canada and the UAE they dominated all the teams they played and it was on the back of their captain Tom Prest uh, going into the final he was the highest run scorer for the competition and You'd expect he'd be crucial as they faced a much better squad in South Africa, Afghanistan and India after that. So a professional performance from the whole squad, actually, not just Tom Press, meant they chased a target of 210 with six wickets remaining. In the semis, like I said, they played a strong Afghanistani squad who, um, you know, props to them for getting to the semi-final after, you know, what happens in their own country back home. But... um, Though they were still favourites to advance to the final, Afghanistan didn't go down without a fight. They reduced them to 106 for 5, but they managed to crawl that way to 231, which they defended successfully. And in the final, the both the sides were being bolstered and boosted and motivated by big players, you know, uh, Arut and Berso for England, Kohli and Rohit Sharma sending them good luck messages. Uh, it quickly became something that the whole world was following. And India had England on the mat at 61 for 6 and later 91 for 7. 
including a duck from Captain Prest, uh, with India having Ravi Kumar and Raj Bawa's consistent base bowling to thank. The number four, James Rue, showed immense uh, character and fight in a critically needed 95, falling five short of a worthy 100. England, despite being a score only 189 on their board, they gave India a run for their money. Runs were hard to come by as India's batters had to work for their runs. But in the end, the two apiece from Joshua Boyden and James Sales uh, couldn't avert India from making a fifth title. A victory with the chase being fuelled by 50s from Rashid and Nishant Sidhu. It's perfect timing is in this World Cup because the, uh, the outfield auction of course is next week and we had a lot of talent on show so expect some big bucks and new names in these teams as the teams clash together to go and get I presume there's going to be lots of money for Captain uh, Duel, uh, Yash Duel, and I know the um, Rashid's made a lot of runs um, in terms of who else yeah and you had the left arm orthodox Vicky Oswald uh, who has gotten uh, 12 wickets as an average of 10.75. And uh, uh, just before I finish, um, we need to mention the uh, wrist spinner from England called Rehan Ahmed, who only played three games but made, uh, but picked up 12 wickets. He's been uh, outstanding as well. Yeah, you spoke about the IPL. I think we'll see a much more balanced uh, 10 teams this time around with the inclusion of those two teams, obviously. And uh, yeah, as you said, a lot of new names, which should be interesting and uh, sort of spice up the IPL from what it's usually been. Moving on to the India versus West Indies. So it will be India's thousandth, thousandth, thousandth ODI that they play and uh, hopefully something special to emerge. You know, they play to watch out for. We always say this, but Virat Kohli, you know, his... Elusive 100. He averages an outstanding 79 against the West Indies with, I think, he scored four or five hundreds every time he plays against them. Holder said prior to this game that it, after the thrilling win against England that he's never felt something this special within a West Indies squad. Mm. Uh, the new young players in, I think, Odion Smith and Romario Shepard sort of, um, sort of mixed up the squad and allowed them to strengthen it up quite well. Holder feels like the West Indies are building something really special held heading into the T20 World Cup and a big chance to prove themselves in the subcontinent setting. In addition to this, uh, there's been a bit of a mix-up in the Indian squad, you could say. Um, after the 3-0 loss, three loss in South Africa, I think uh, some people want the mix of Kuldeep and Chahal back in the squad. So, you know... Um, right arm leg spinner and left arm Chinaman. I think the mystery combination combination which peaked in 2018 might be might be good to run back to that because you know Kuldeep Yadav he's been short of confidence lately I think after they managed to pick up on his wrong end and stuff he sort of became quite flat but you never know maybe they'll get India back on top in other news in the series Shrikadawan Rutraj Gaikwad and Shreyas Ayo are all tested positive to COVID-19, so Ishan Kishan and Rohit Sharma will be opening the squad. And uh, Looking at the squad, uh, just a quick note before we bring you the ODIs next time, because the first one's happening this morning on Sunday. Um, the usual suspects of Sharma and Virat Kohli, Suvi Kumayadav, Deepak Kuda is in the mix as well, uh, Rishabh Punt is the official keeper, uh, Deepak Chah, Ashadul Thakur, along with Mohamed Siraj, 
Fasid Krishna and Avish Khan are the pacers. The spin of Chahal and Kulip, uh, Washington Sunda, Ravi Vishnu, you've got a main call up, and three names added to the squad are Ishan Kishan, Shavukh Khan, uh, who's also got a first India uh, call up, and uh, Kail Rahul, uh, who Karthik mentioned, is unavailable for the first one due to family reasons. West Indies, um, their captains Pollard, and no real uh, any surprises apart from Kemal Roach being brought back into the fold. Uh, they've got a powerful uh, batsman at the top, Anukuma Bonner, Sharmar Books, Shea Hope, who has just been bowled through the gate yet again, Brandon King, Nicholas Puran, and they've got some new uh, a new guys, as you mentioned, Carly, Odeon Smith from Mario Shepard, uh, Alzari Joseph, who uh, we all know from the IPL, where he, he picked up 6 for 7, was it? A 6 for 14 against uh, SRH. I still remember in 2019 he was brought in and he picked up 6 for 17 against SRH in his debut match for, for Mumbai Indians. And the next match, Josh Spotler carted him around in an afternoon game in Mumbai and his figures were none for 50 after three overs. So it shows the two extremes of life in the IPL. And what a, what an amazing unintended segue, Karthik into the IPL because you got the auction next week. Yeah, it's, it's quite a big deal now, isn't it? Because of the mega auction. Uh, we'll see who comes out on top with that. And I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Cricket South Africa has forwarded 33 names for the auction, while there are five from Bangladesh, 24 each from England and New Zealand. And I, I was looking at a list that Cricket Australia had put up to IPL as well, and it was a bit... You know, there's so many players on there that I've never even heard of. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, are these guys going to get picked or have I, am I missing something? But genuinely, they're just like, anyone can register for it. Yeah. <laughs> anyone with the half-decent statistics. So it's quite interesting. Archer also snuck in to the auction at the last second. Uh, he's listed for two crores base price and can only play from 2023. So it's going to be... Interesting to see whether people, you know, take that risk and buy for him and uh, put his money, put their money there for twenty twenty three. Because he's a precious asset. You know, he's not everybody on that uh, on that auction list. Carthay can bowl one hundred and fifty clicks and can bowl a saving Yorker. Uh, so he's a precious commodity, demand and supply, economics, blah blah blah. But uh, the thing is that he won't be featuring in the marquee sets because he can't play this year. And whoever picks him will not get a replacement player because they already know that uh, he's injured and not likely to play this season. In terms of some clashes, we've heard from a usual suspects of Australia and England. Australia are making their first tour to Pakistan in 24 years. Um, and that's at the start. That's uh, March to April. And so that's likely to interfere with them missing 45 games, including the isolation. And the uh, tail end of the... Of the edition of the IPL, the tournament playoffs uh, will be affected by England players who will have to leave uh, most likely due to the start of their season with the first test match against New Zealand, question mark, uh, at the start of June. In terms of some other headlines, we've heard that Yusufan the Chaha wants to go to RCB, which I'm sure it is a clever thing because he's just in Seoul at the Trinaswami. Hardik Pandya, who's going to be captaining one of the new squads um, once quite a combination of the captains that he's sort of played under and been observing so he he'd like Coley's energy on the field uh Dhoni's calm and collectedness as well as Roach Sharma's cricketing IQ 
you know, it's it's an amazing combination to have, but for a probably inexperienced captain that he is, you know, not sure. I, I'm not sure how it's going to go first sure. off first year. But it's ambitious. Jameson also sits out on the action to spend time at home. Uh, he, you can't really blame him. He's earned 15 and a half crore last year, so I think he's living pretty lavishly off that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and yes, that brings us to our DRS of the week. So for those of you that don't know, the DRS of the week is a totally unscripted uh, segment of our podcast where we will discuss some hot topic that has happened throughout the week. And this week, it is the resignation of Chris Silverwood and Justin Langer. A very, very hot topic. And also a lot of hot heads. Um, in Justin Langer being shunned by CA. Let's start with England, because that one came first. It's been a week of resignations in the UK. We had a 5 from 10 Downing Street, and we also had uh, three in cricket. So we had, I think, the chair, I think it is, for for cricket. Uh, what is Ashley Jar's position? Let me just have a very quick search. A director of cricket, sorry. Right, yeah. So he was sacked because of the Ashes' humiliation. And then it was at Chris Silverwood and then his deputy in Graham Thorpe. So let's begin with Ashley Giles. Uh, he was quite bullish, to be honest, about... And he was quite honest on a Test Match special uh, during the Ashes on England's performance. And he understood that people won't be happy and said that there will be a clear review process at the end. Um, he's the guy who's blamed for the Western rotation policy at the start of last year that really left... Um, England in a shambolic performance in India. Um, but to be honest, it's been a lot to go through for Ashley Giles. It's been a very difficult one and a half years with scheduling all the cricket around the world, including the COVID stuff. And so, um, yeah, it is difficult. In terms of who's stepped in to replace him, Anders Strauss, who's basically doing everything at the moment, he is the saviour uh, for English cricket at the moment, he is going to be both the director of cricket and the interim coach. As Silverwood um, has left, and moving on to Silverwood, I think that was kind of impending. You you do need to have somebody under the block uh, against the chop after such a horrible performance in in Australia. In terms of what he did well and bad, I, I think he worked with what he had. He didn't have the best plays, and that's and that's fair to him. But making him both the coach and the selector wasn't the cleverest idea in the world. He wasn't the cleverest coach in the first place, and it meant that he had so much power that there wasn't a selector to make the right squad, or even if there was a a wrongly picked a team, i.e. in Brisbane, it came only down to him. And I think when England cricket revives and resets, as is the first word at the moment, uh, there will be a separation back to a selector and to a coach rather than it being a uh, a codexer. Yeah, I think it's a bit more than that as well because, you know, when you think about a coach, you need someone to sort of uh, just help you identify what you're doing wrong with your technique or helping you uh, fix your bowling or something like that or where you need to bowl. But then when you put selectors in that, it means that, a selector and a coach. With with a coach, you have to have a really personal relationship with the players. And being a selector, you focus solely on what's happening, at uh, as in 
um, you sort of leave your emotions out of it and just go with the, the team that you think is best. And giving him the power of both meant that, you know, he could, it's, it's very, it's a very subjective decision just for him, who he thinks doing well. And I think that's why there were so many wrong selections in Adelaide and in um, Brisbane, like you said. So as England does reset, they should definitely split up the role of director, of selector and coach. Yeah, that's a fair point because this is something that was mentioned uh, during the Ashes that when you have a problem with your technique or you're feeling worried, you're meant to go to your coach. He's meant to be the father figure, the parent in the dressing room. If he's a selector, isn't that going to play on his mind? Like, It's not like he's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, two different people. It's the same person and it's the same mind that's thinking these things through. In terms of his record, I've... I've just had a look. Yes, the white ball teams, they went first and second in the world and there were some test team victories. Uh, if you remember, he was the bowling coach, I think, before this. So he's done a lot for for English cricket, but uh, unfortunately, he wasn't quite the guy for the top job. And in terms of the top job, there's a lot of people who can make it. One uh, is Gary Kirsten, who was quite rightly criticised for saying that he's open for the England position before he's made open uh, in the middle of England's uh, terrors down in the ashes. But we might have a certain Justin Langer who could come and coach England. There's, I've just read, I've also read that England's under-19 coach uh, could end up being a good uh, coach for the England side. So there are options. But at the moment, uh, Anders Strauss is going down as a quote-unquote caretaker to the West Indies when they pick a squad for that. And just to finish off before I hand to Karthik for the Australian version of this whole mess, except it's a lot more messier there, I believe. Um, we then had Graham Thorpe, who's been in a bit of hot water recently with the video circulating of him with a beer uh, after the fifth test match. But he was the batting coach um, and he's left. I think, I don't think that's necessarily... Yes, maybe because of the batting performances and, and the batting struggles, it could just be because his boss Silver would, uh, went, his his deputy went uh, with him. Um, Graham Thorpe was one of the hard people in the dressing room. I think we saw that in the fifth Test match. Sorry, in the fourth one, where Silverwood wasn't there because he caught COVID. There was a there's a change in attitude and a bit more a bit more assertiveness. Aggression. Yeah, um, and. In terms of Anders Strauss, who's now the director uh, in the interim for England's men's team, he says that the reset needs to be ambitious, bold and radical. And this is very reminiscent for me of the 2010-11 series uh, that he won uh, in Australia, uh, very famously. He's now at essentially the helm. He doesn't want to be coach, he doesn't want to be director of cricket. Uh, he's made that very clear. He was actually... I think he was in one of these positions earlier and now he's been removed uh, because he didn't want to be in the position. But he's got so much power now to change English cricket. And let's just hope, because he's such a, a passionate and lover of English cricket, let's see what he can do. Before I finish my speech, just I'm flicking through seven articles at the moment. Um, yeah, no, uh, I think we need to wrap it up though. Anders Strauss said that Chris Silverwood was under impossible strain and... Um, yeah, I think that's, oh yeah, that's enough. So uh, England, a bit of a chaos at the top, but let's go to a bit more, a bit more uh, interesting and spicy sort of Sunday night drama, um, 
drama television show like uh, stuff that's happening in Australia, Karthik, with Justin Langer and the CA battling it out. Yeah, you said it was a bit messier than England's troubles there, but it, it really didn't have to be. I think the CA is just try, trying to wash their hands off Langer, even though he's done remarkable stuff for them. He got them out of the sandpaper gate. Um, he went to England, drew there, got a practically hopeless Australian side to the semis in the, uh, in the uh, 2019 World Cup. Then... And then here, they, they won the T20 World Cup, and then now they beat England 4-0, but yet the CA still want to get rid of him. And I can tell you personally that there's a lot of outrage around here. Um, people don't know why the CA is doing what they're doing, uh, why they would let such a, good, such a coach walk, and it's pretty insulting to him, mm. as well as the fact that the, the players have just frankly gone soft. Um, they don't like him speaking freely and how he wants to run the dressing room in a sort of an army camp, you know, yeah. they want to be, they want to be, uh, pampered. obviously they should be heard. Yeah. But they, they can't be pampered like that because then it doesn't, you know, you need, you need to be hungry to win games and, uh, without having that hunger, they're not going to do much. So Langer sort of fueled that and he got kicked out for it. So, yeah. So Justin Langer, he's, he's a very hardline coach. He's a very hardline, harsh, you know, disciplined that kind of true Aussie, though. He was a, a very true Aussie uh, fan, a crazy for the game. Uh, of course, highly successful for Australian cricket. He was put into the Hall of Fame last week, which is just so ironic that it happened. But yes, it's two parts of Cricket Australia that decides that. Um, I don't know the need and why this needs to be done, uh, because for a man who's just won the T20 World Cup, and he's just won it and Ashes at home, which was expected, but in a quite commanding fashion. In a very big winter ahead for Australia, uh, playing in the subcontinent and then uh, playing the D20 World Cup at home, I don't know why we need to see uh, a parting ways with Langer. Um, but in terms of what happened in terms of integrity, there was a bit of argument uh, between Langer and CA. And CA offered a six-month deal which he uh, refused and he resigned. And I think the players don't really mind this because if you see both the captain Finch and Cummins in both the limited overs and the Red Bull, they haven't explicitly come out in support of Langer. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very unfortunate end to a man who's really saved Australian cricket. He's brought back the the integrity, honesty and the, uh, the trust in Australian cricket after deep hole that the New England saga put them in. Um, and Andrew McDonald has taken over uh, as interim coach there as well. Um, but in terms of replacements for him, there's the opposition, There's the option of Andrew McDonald. I know this Ponting McCarthy will tell you why uh, we can't have Ponting. Um, there is a Trevor Bayliss, who was very successful with the England side, uh, and especially given that there's the uh, the D20 World Cup in Australia this year, and the ODI World Cup in India next year, maybe because he was good in limited overs cricket. And there's a case for a splitting between the Test and the ODI and uh, E20, a coach, because that's something that's been discussed that we can separate uh, who coaches the red ball and the white ball stuff. Um, so, yeah, a Catholic, why can't a Ponting be, uh, be coach? Yeah, there's just two reasons. One's the fact that Ponting. Um 
gets paid way more at the Delhi Capitals in the IPL than he does for than he would do for mm. Australia. And other than that, he himself is frankly outraged at his one of his close friends being mm. just booted out of the Cricket Australia setting for no real reason. Mm. And um, I mean, what is he going to do there that Justin Langer couldn't? Yeah. Uh, you know, they both have similar styles. They are disciplined. They want to play. They want to always play to win. And if they want to kick, if they want to, if they wanted to kick Langer out, then there's no way they could um, be any more happier with punting. So, yeah, that's that's all I really have to say about it. I myself, I don't really like the fact that he's just been let go like that. I think he deserved something a bit more, um, but. You know, a bit CA. more respect from CA. Yeah, a bit more respect, and you know that he wanted a multi-year deal. Give him the multi-year deal, but no, they just wanted a six-month contract to let him go out on a high. So he, they they wanted to get rid of him either way. So yeah, you, you get where I'm going here. Yeah, and I think a few things is if he accepted the six months, what happened after six months? What's if he yeah, win? Same uh, thing. Uh, what if he wins in Australia? Uh, sorry, in um for Australia in Bangladesh, um, it's just kicking the can down the road so to say and Ponting along with all of his buddies if you could call it Matthew Hayden and Adam Gilchrist they all say that, that this is uh, this is wrong and uh, I read Hayden call this a dark day in Australian cricket um, and for Ponting he doesn't really want to be coached because he doesn't uh, like the travelling which is fair enough you know he's got a family um, and I think yeah that's it let us know what you think about this whole saga please do messages uh on the email, or you can use the anchor. I don't think I've had anything uh, uh, ever on there. Um, so do let us know what you think of this whole mess and um, administrations screwing things up. But do it, but don't they all around the world? Uh, sorry to leave you on this very sad and a chaotic end of um, the show. But we will see you next week uh, with Inos's West Indies. We'll probably see you with some IPO auction news because we will have gone as the first day of that. Yeah, thanks everyone. See you next time.